look, uh, look to uh, John chapter number 1. John chapter 1, verse number 18. Don't forget, if you'd like to give toward the young people uh, going to camp, you can just designate that on, the, on your uh, giving thing there, and on your uh, the giving receipt, and they'll have a record of that. We're trying to get these kids to camp. That'll be a great time for them to go to camp and hear some good preaching and do a lots of fun things. There's a lot of good things that happen at camp, and I hope that you'll support that. And lives can be changed. I believe I, I read one time they were talking about uh, uh, number of people that got saved at church and so forth, different places where people get saved. One of those places is at camp. And uh, because they get away from the world, they get away from those things, and, you know, decisions are made many times about being a missionary, uh, serving the Lord someplace around the world. Wouldn't that be wonderful if one of our children goes and says, you know what, God's spoken to my heart about being a missionary and, uh, or being a pastor or being a pastor's wife or one of those different things at, uh, at camp this year. I pray that God would use that. John chapter 1, verse 18. Let's all stand as we read God's word. One verse tonight. John chapter 1, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He hath declared him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the word of God, that we can learn and build our faith upon the truth that is in thy word. Lord, we don't have to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There's so much uh, false doctrine going out today, and Lord, as we study thy word, we can know the real from the, from the imitation. And Father, tonight I pray that you would just guide us and help us, Lord, to understand your word. And Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Hope you've got your Bibles and are, look, are willing to, to turn, uh, ruffle those pages tonight. I know that in some churches that they don't use uh, the Bibles, they've got it all on the screen. Well, you know what? We get kind of lazy. Uh, and, you know, you can't take the screen with you. Uh, it's hard to pack that up, and it's, but there's one thing. When you have it and you mark your Bible and you mark these places in the Word of God, it will help you to be able to go back and to be able to share that with other people. You know, we have printed on our coins the words, In God We Trust. Uh, when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we use the words, One Nation Under God. I know that people don't like that, but it's still the truth. Uh, we hear the patriotic songs of our country about God. God bless America. And uh, we, I still believe that. I love hearing that song. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Uh, as I said this morning, our founding fathers believed uh, in the principles of this book. This book was the guiding principles for uh, our, our nation. Uh, there are those who deny the existence of God, and we, we call these folks atheists. Merriam-Webster defines atheism this way. It's a disbelief in the existence of deity. God says it this way, Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You say, Pastor, I don't want to be called a fool. Then, then believe in God. That's pretty easy. The fool has told God no, and that's the reason why we come up with evolution, and that's why we come up with these these false teachings that says that there is no God because man does not like God. Communism based on atheism, that there is no God. Uh, can I tell you something? Uh, they are foolish in their direction. Um, God def uh, the, there are those who really don't know if there's a God, and they call themselves agnostics. 
There are still others who say, well, there might be a God somewhere, and they develop their own ways of how to please God. It's called religion. Religion is man's way of trying to reach to God through do's and don'ts. And who sets up the do's and the don'ts? I do. And I choose what do's I should do and what don'ts I should, I should do. And, uh, you know, even with all doing all the do's and don't doing all the don'ts, you never know whether you've got it all enough to let, for God to let you into heaven. Um, some might ask, is it really possible to know God? Well, we're going to explore this idea tonight as we examine the theme, is it really possible to know God? The Bible teaches that it is possible to know God in a personal and intimate way. Not just, oh, there's, there's some force out there, there's some power out there. No, to know God in a personal and intimate way. And so uh, the Bible teaches that it is possible to know God uh, uh, through one, the one person that God sent, and that was Jesus Christ. And he declared him God to mankind. Look with me, if you would, as we consider this verse this evening. First of all, no man has seen God at any time. Verse number 18. It says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I, you know, as you talk with people, it's interesting. People come up with all sorts of experiences. Uh, I heard one, I've heard people say, well, you know what? I died and I went to heaven and I saw God. And God told me to go back. I heard it some guy the other day. He said, you know what? I went down to hell. And God told me to go back and tell them what I saw in hell. Well, you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches. And uh, there was a, there was a well-known uh, Bible scholar who was, or person who calls himself a Bible scholar, who was endorsing uh, this individual because he had this experience. And he was, he was impacting people. You know what? The devil is a master at imitation. We know, if we know the scriptures, we will know what's the truth. And we'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And uh, the Bible says, um, for it's appointed to men once to die, and after this the judgment. Uh, the rich man did not get a second chance to come back up and tell what he knew about being in hell. Uh, in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments, and he wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back. And God says, no, 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 that's not how it works. He says, you know what? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them tell him. They said, oh, no, no, if one rose from the dead, surely they'd believe him. They said, you know what? If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe the one rose from the dead. So tonight, as we think about this idea, no man has seen God at any time. This truth is clearly taught over and over again in the scriptures. For example, when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, turn with me back to Exodus chapter 33. I hope you, you're uh, flipping through these portions of scripture because it's important for you to see it in the word of God itself, not just for me to quote it to you. Exodus chapter uh, 33. Remember, this is after, right after the time when Moses had been up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments. While he was up there having fellowship with God for 40 days and 40 nights, receiving the Ten Commandments, the people down in the valley, the, the nation of Israel, were down there with Aaron, and they were, had stripped themselves naked, and they were having a big party to the, the golden calf, and they were worshiping the golden calf. And God says, now Moses, go down. Let my anger wax hot against these people. They had broken all the Ten Commandments. They had done it all. And uh, so God says, let me just destroy them. I'll give you another nation. And Moses uh, was a merciful man. He was a, a compassionate man. And he prayed that God would, would, uh, would not uh, destroy them. 
and uh, God did it not because of his prayer. And so uh, when he came down, remember, he broke the Ten Commandments, and, and so we uh, come a little bit further over here into chapter 33, and Moses said, you know what, Lord, if you don't go with us, uh, I don't want to go from this place. I, I don't want to move unless you're going with us. And so he, he prays and asks God uh, to, to demonstrate, to show, uh, show him uh, his, his, uh, his glory. In verse 18, um, well, let's go, let's go back to verse 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence, this is Moses speaking, go not with me, carry us not up hence, from therein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also which thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is Moses' prayer. God, show me your glory. And he, God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious unto them, uh, unto whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I shall show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Now, isn't it amazing? Stand upon a rock? I wonder who the rock was. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, he's the one we stand upon. The, upon the rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passeth by, I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand, while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall thou not uh, shall not be seen. Someone it's translated it this way: Thou shalt see my afterglow. God said, "You cannot see my face, but you'll see my afterglow." Moses was allowed to see the glow of God, but not his face. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 12. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 12. Deuteronomy means the second law, and here in Deuteronomy 4.12 we find these words, And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire, and ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. They, saw, they, they heard a voice, but they saw no, they did not see the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 46, the same idea once again about not seeing the face of God. John chapter 6, verse 46. John chapter 6 and verse 46. John 6, verse 46, Jesus is speaking here. He says, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Verse 46, no, Not that any man has seen the Father, save he that is of the Father. Of the Father. Those are important words to notice. John chapter 5, verse 37. John 5, verse 37. Jesus is speaking once again. He says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. 
as he's talking about here, the one that has come from the Father is the one who had seen the Father. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of Lord, lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. The Apostle John speaks of this fact uh, that no man has seen God at any time. Go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 12. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 12. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 12. John says this, he says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So if somebody comes to you and says, Well, you know what, I've seen God the Father. Can I tell you something? Based upon the scriptures, they've lied. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? We can stand on the authority of God's holy word. When Jesus himself says, no man seen, seen God, the Father. I think you can pretty well trust that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Well, here's the truth. God says he's not a man that he should lie. Well, what does that tell you about the nature of man? Man, or, man is, lying, uh, is a liar. So, and we follow, uh, man follows after their their father, which is the devil. He's a liar from the beginning, abode not in the truth. So when we think of that idea, in the script, uh, man has not seen, in this flesh body, has not seen God's face. In the scriptures, we see manifestations of God. For example, Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, saw the burning bush. Look with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1. The burning bush. Remember, Moses had been, for the first 40 years of his life, had been uh, taught how to be a somebody. He was the, the daughter of, uh, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, she had adopted him. And then for the next 40 years, he learned how to be a nobody on the backside of the desert after he had killed an Egyptian and hit him in the sand and it was found out. And so he ran and fled. Here in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 1, and now Moses kept a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he called, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Could you imagine? The bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. Brother Eric, that would be quite a, quite a feat for you as a firefighter. Yeah, the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Well, that's great. It's not going to spread. Uh, it's just going to be just continually be burning. Well, it caught Moses' attention. 
And he says, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, which the bush is not burnt. Now notice verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. God, the manifestation of God was that burning bush. The Bible declares for us that our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. They saw the cloud which represented God. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The manifestation, if you would, of God. Chapter 13, verse number 21. It says, And the Lord went before them by, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. When they see that pillar of cloud, it was a manifestation of God. At night, you wouldn't need flashlights. The pillar of fire was the light. It was the pillar by day, pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine how they, you saw that God was there. And yet people would do some evil things like Korah to rebel against God's man, but it was really against God. Uh, when people would do things that were just evil, God, you could see the manifestation that God was there. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, let's go over there for a second. You say, well, pastor, remember Isaiah in chapter 6? He saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, remember, we don't take the scriptures, just one scripture by itself alone. We compare line upon line. Uh, uh, we have precept upon precept, line upon line. We look at all the scriptures together in the light of God's word so that we get the total understanding of what God is trying to teach us. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Uh, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, wait a minute. Let's look at this a second. God has said that no man can look at his face and live. Jesus said no man has seen the face of God. So then what is this that he said that he saw? Well, we know one thing. He didn't see the face of God. He didn't see the face of God. And Barnes in his notes says this. He says, uh, it is to be understood that the prophet saw Yahweh himself, but only, he, he, excuse me, uh, that the prophet saw Yahweh himself, but only the symbol of his presence. Same thing with Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. They said the same thing. He says, not strictly Yahweh himself, but the symbol of his presence. They saw the manifestation. There was a, 
individual high and lifted up on the throne, but he did not see his face. You say, well, pastor, what difference does it make? It makes a lot of difference. We're going to see that here in just a moment. It's important that we understand these principles. People heard the voice of the Lord. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. They saw the manifestation in the cloud, the, the uh, fire, these different things, but they did not see the face. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. Matthew 3 and verse number 16. This is at the baptism of Jesus. Let's go back to verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee unto Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now, this is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist, the John who was baptizing. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, thou comest, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus was putting his stamp of approval on the message that John the Baptist was giving by coming and being baptized. Baptism is identification. It's identification. When we get baptized, we're identifying with Christ. Jesus was identifying with the message of John the Baptist, which is one of repentance. Repentance, get, make, make your way straight. And it says, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Notice those words. He didn't go and was, was not sprinkled. They didn't take a, a pitcher and, and scoop up a bunch of water and pour it on his head. He came up out of the water, very significant. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Um, so we have the voice of God. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was there and he was transfigured, remember, uh, Peter was there with James and John, and he saw uh, Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter, uh, just like so often he did, he would open his mouth and stick his, his foot in his mouth and say, Hey, Lord, you know, it's good for us to be here. Hey, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know what he did? He lowered Jesus down on the same plane as Moses and Elijah. And then all of a sudden, a cloud came upon him, and they overshadowed him, and they were fearful and he said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And when the cloud was removed, the only person they saw was Jesus. Folks, may I share with you, that's the only person we need to see. And we need to follow. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, it says, And he fell on the earth as he was walking, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. This passage is not, to, is not to deny that men had witnessed the manifestations of God and when as he appeared to Moses, the prophets, but it meant that no one has seen the essence of God's face or have fully known God. May I share with you that God is invisible? No human eyes have seen him. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 17. 
Notice what it says. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, what? What does, in, that word invisible, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. That word invisible means unseen or that which cannot be seen. Can't see him. Our God is invisible. You say, well then, how do we know about God? How, are, you know, the nature of God uh, is spiritual. God is a spiritual, a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, it says, We have therefore need to live by faith by which we see him that is invisible. By faith we see him that is invisible. We could not see God in this human body. Because God is spirit. Listen, he had to become flesh. He had to become one of us in order for us to know him. We could not go up there and understand him. He had to come down here and bring, down, and bring God down where we are. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. You say, Pastor, this is kind of an interesting lesson that you're teaching tonight. I understand. But Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9 kind of sheds a little light of this. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect or complete through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to be called them, to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, notice, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't, take, he didn't have wings and fly around like an angel. No, he took upon, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He took on the flesh form like us. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful priest in the things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. You say, Pastor, as we look at this portion of Scripture and we can understand that principle, no man has seen God at any time. God took on human form. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we come down to verse 18. Now, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus hath revealed the Father. Once again, we must look to the author and finisher of our faith to understand about our God. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author. He's the finisher, the completer. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He says there, the only begotten Son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word only begotten means single uh, of its, uh, its kind, only, the only Son. John 3.18, as we said, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at John chapter number 20. John chapter 20. You say, well, pastor, how do we know that that son is Jesus? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 20, verse number 30. Because you know what? We're sons of God. I could believe, I could believe on him, and, and that would be just, as, just like Jesus. No, no, no. He's only, the only one. There was no one else like Jesus. John chapter 20, verse, verse 30. And with many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus, human name, which means Savior, is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through what? His name. Neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one Son of God in that capacity. When we stop and we think about this, someone has put it kind of in this light. Jesus, as it said in verse 18, he was in the bosom of the Father. Jesus did not come from the head of God, to reveal the wisdom of God, although when he spoke, it was the wisdom of God. Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. He came to reveal the heart of God. Lying in the bosom is spoken of in reference to the Asiatic custom of reclining while at meals. The person who was next to the other was said to lie in his bosom, and he who had this place in reference to the master of the feast was supposed to share his uh, peculiar regards, to be in a state of the utmost favor and intimacy with him. Think of John the Apostle. John chapter 13, verse 23, and look what we find here. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and in John chapter 13, verse number 23, Jesus has just said that there was one that was going to betray him. He didn't tell him who it was. Peter leans over to John because John was laying on the 
Lord's breast. He was in the bosom of the Savior. Verse 22, it says, Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting on whom he spake. And now there was, a, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You find out who, who that was. You can go back. We won't look there. But John chapter 21, verse 20 through 24, we know that it's John the Apostle. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I give a sup when he had dipped it. And when he had given dip, when he had dipped the sup, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. How, how clear can that be? He says, I'm going to dip this thing, and when I get, dip this thing, I'm going to give it to the person who's going to betray me. He dips it, and he gives it to Judas Iscariot. And the disciples said, Hmm, I wonder who it is. Hello, woo, that's how it, sometimes, you know, the lights are on, but there's no one home. That's how we get sometimes. We just don't see it. But the significance of what I'm trying to help you to understand here, the one who was laying on the bosom of the Savior was the one who had that heart beat of the Savior. He, he understood the Savior. He wanted to know, when Jesus was there on the cross, and he was looking. All of his disciples had fled except John the, ba or John the Apostle. And there was a duty that needed to be taken care of of his mother. And he said, John, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. And it says, from that day, John took his mother, Jesus' mother, Mary, into his own home. You know what? This is the one who laid on the bosom of Jesus. Hey, Lord, what's it all about? I can imagine there was probably some interesting, sweet conversations between John and Jesus. Because that, that behavior was not just a once-type situation. It was one who, he wanted to be close to the Lord. Oh, well, you know what, I'd rather be over there. I can hear it from what, I can hear it best from over there in the corner. Well, that's maybe true, but you know, Mary wanted to sit at the feet. John wanted to lean on, her, on his breast. He wanted to catch, catch all the words that came from his mouth. I know as I was a young person in my teens, and even before I liked to be around my preacher, I said, why do you like to do that? I just like to, to hear what he had to say. Because I knew that if this man knew the word of God, I could catch some of the things of God's word. You say, well, pastor, you know, it's enough to be at church on Sunday morning. I mean, Sunday morning, right? you've done your duty. It's not about duty. It's about the interest of where you want to be. Remember, there is a place of quiet rest, what? Near to the heart of God. When you're far away from God, you know, and we're out walking in sin, guess what? We don't want to be around God. We don't want to be around the people of God. Why? Because that, that reminds us of our Savior and where we're not where we're supposed to be. But when we're, we have that hungry and thirsting after righteousness, guess what? We want to be as close to him as we possibly can be. In this portion of Scripture, 
all of God's saints, the Bible says, are in his hand, in God's hand. John, 10, 20, or John 20, 29. But his son, the son of God, Jesus, was in his bosom. One in nature, one in essence, and therefore in the highest degree, one in love. So when Jesus came, the Bible says in verse 18 of John 1, it says, he hath declared him. That word declared means to lead out, to unfold. No man had seen God in any time. Who is the one then that unfolded about Jesus? What Jesus did was to lead God out into the open. We know that creation reveals that there's a God in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says that we are without excuse. For the invisible things from, from the creation of the world are clearly understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. We know that there's a God. It reveals a God of great power and ability. It reveals he's a God of design. But it is Jesus who declares the complete nature of God. The holy prophets spoke about God. But it was Jesus who came to reveal God the Father. What was seen and known of God before the incarnation of Christ was nothing to that which is now seen and known. Life and immortality are now brought to a much clearer light than they were then. Why? Because of Jesus. Christ knew God the Father intimately and completely and was therefore fitted to make a fuller manifestation of himself. Of him. Look at John chapter 14. And consider this. This is amazing. Jesus has been with the disciples for three and a half years. They've heard him speak. They've argued about who's the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> Who cares? Well, you know what? I've got my position. I've got my kingdom. It makes no difference. The whole purpose is about him. Your life is about him, living for him, living for Jesus, a life that is true. And in John chapter 14, verse 8, and Philip saith unto, unto him, Jesus, unto the Lord, he said, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you that ye have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen what? The Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest not that, that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Can you imagine? Here Jesus has spent all this time demonstrating to them, living before them, hearing his words, seeing the miracles that he did, and for them to come up with a statement like that. They still hadn't grasped the message after three and a half years. May I share with you, when you think about the idea that Jesus was fit, he was the only one fit. To reveal the Father. Why? He's the only one who's laid at the bosom of the Father. 
May I remind you that he alone was worthy to take the book in Revelation 5.9. The book of the seals, no one was worthy on earth to take it from God and to open the book. And John the apostle, remember, he was weeping. He says, there's no one on the earth that can do it. He says, oh, there is one. It's the lamb. The one who laid on the bosom of the father, who loved the father like no one else loved the father. Who is so likely to know the Father as the Son? Or in whom is the Father better known than the Son? Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. See, the Father had revealed all things to the Son. And Jesus said, no man can know the, can know the Son except the one whom the Son reveals. Jesus is the same nature with the Father, and so he who has seen him has seen the Father, as we read. May I share with you that there is no true full knowledge of God which is not obtained through the Son. A person who rejects Jesus will never know God the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. How is that? Why is that? It's because the Son came to reveal the Father. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the Father. If you have Jesus, you have the Father as well. One night, cars sped along the main highway between Jackson and Vicksburg, Mississippi. The drivers had faith in their cars and the bridges were over the streams and, and they, were, they were passing at 50 and 60 miles an hour. That's nothing now, but at that time it was, they were going at 50 and 60 miles an hour and boy, they were just going there so swiftly and they were just uh, enjoying the, the drive down the road. Behind them was a truck and the truck was watching the, the rear lights of these cars as they were going, and, and they, the one was trying to pass the other, and, and they were going, and then all of a sudden, they were off in a distance a little bit, and all of a sudden, the lights were gone. The truck that was behind them kept on going, thought, wonder where the wonder where they went to. And in a moment, that truck found an empty space in the bridge. And he, like the cars, went over into the river below. Could hear the breaking of glass. And the man finally, he freed himself from his truck and he, he got back up on the bridge and, and, and he went to warn the people that were coming before him. And, and the people looked at him and they thought, well, what is this I'm standing beside? And they just passed on by him and before long they just disappeared out of the sight and just like his demise had gone into the river two more cars went 
each with a booming splash with some hoarse cries. All the drivers had faith in the bridge, but the bridge was out. May I share with you that there's only one bridge across the gulf of death? Christ said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Woe to the man who attempts any other highway. His faith will not carry him to heaven. Faith must have a proper foundation, and that foundation is Christ. Well, I want to go to the Father. There's only one bridge, and that bridge is Jesus. Tonight, as we consider, as we ponder, if we really want to know God the Father, we must get to know Jesus. If we want to know what God would do in a situation, we must look at the life of Jesus, for he came to declare the Father. How well, know, how well do you know the Father? The question really comes back to how well do you know Jesus? See, there's people here in this world today that say, well, you know what, I believe in God. I want God, but I don't want Jesus. You have, you'll have no hope of knowing God or having God the Father until you have Jesus. I don't know about you tonight, but I'm glad that God sent his Son to declare him, to let us see the God who created us and how he thinks and how he Acts. I remember the different circumstances as Jesus stood and watched the widow with the two farthings that were a mite and throwing that in there in the treasury of the, of the, of the temple. And Jesus watching all these other people throwing all this other money in and him making a statement because that's the statement that the Father was making about the actions of this lady. All these people, they gave of all their abundance, but she gave of all of her, all of her wealth. He says, she's given more than all those people. You say, well, pastor, what difference does my little tithe mean? <laughs> to a God who's watching all, I think he's looking for that. How much do you love me tonight? May I share with you? We wonder, well, what difference does it matter whether I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper or not? It was a commandment of our Father. It was not just Jesus commanding it, although he did. But it's really a commandment of the Father. The words that he spoke were not his words. They were the Father that was in him. See, we understand things a little differently when we understand the principle of Jesus Christ coming to reveal the Father. I wish I knew more. I wish I knew the Father better. Then get to know Jesus, and you'll understand the Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that you would help us to digest what we've heard tonight. Some of this is very deep. It goes against the grain of some of the things that we've heard in the world, but that's okay because the world has its own views. People want to live by their experience rather than the truth of God's word, your word. 
And Father, I pray tonight that we would listen to your word and what it has to say. God, may we stand upon thy truth. May we not apologize for it, but may we believe it. And Lord, when you speak to us, may we listen. And may we love you with all of our heart. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you've spoken to us tonight about. God, I pray for your mercy and grace tonight. Lord, I pray that we would not just want to be in the far distance from you. You said that if we will draw nigh to you, you will draw nigh to us. Father, may we have such a longing to lean upon your breast and to hear your words. That we'd have that love for you. Father, tonight I pray that we would draw close to yourself. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you are tonight in relationship to the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ. But maybe tonight God's been speaking to you about drawing closer to him. Say, Pastor, I, I, that's what I want. I want to be like John. I want to be on the on that breast, to have that special relationship with my Savior. And I pray that God would draw me closer to himself tonight. I'm not going to ask that you raise your hand. But why not pray and ask the Lord to draw you closer. Father, tonight we thank you. And Lord, we love you. God, we realize the only way of going to heaven is through Jesus. We can have faith in the things of this world, but our faith in the wrong bridge is not going to get us there. It's only through Christ, your precious Son. And Lord, tonight I pray you draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Brother Scott's going to lead us in a song of invitation. If you're not sure you're saved tonight, let me encourage you to come and receive Christ into your heart. Maybe you know.